0: Hello everyone, welcome. This afternoon we're here to once again practice together and learn together about the Dhamma, the Buddha's teaching. We take this as a meditation session, so everyone, if you're new here, close your eyes take up the practice practice in in our tradition is to watch the stomach rising falling, to watch feelings and say pain, pain or happy or calm thoughts and say thinking whether it's good thoughts or bad thoughts past or future and emotions like liking or disliking or worry or stress or anxiety fear, boredom, sadness doubt, confusion drowsiness If you have questions, you can just open your eyes, ask the question, but then go back to meditating because we're here to practice. The chat is not for chatting, so please try to refrain from chatting in the chat box. It's just for asking questions. One thing about asking questions, answering questions, especially over the internet, one concern is we're making it too easy for people. I want to be clear on this because the truth is within you. You have to find wisdom within you. And it requires effort. It requires a, uh A focused mind, a diligent mind, requires what the Buddha called appamada, not being negligent. And so, some concern that by coming here and answering questions, you don't even have to come to the monastery. You don't do anything. You can sit comfortably in your chair, relax. You can be doing whatever you like. I can't even see you too to criticize you. So you could be smoking or drinking or watching a movie, listening to music, and doing all sorts of things. But but at the very least, you, you can easily be relaxed. You don't have to put out any effort. Teachers come right to my room. It's like I came, made a house call. Just so you could ask me all your questions. There's nothing wrong with, with that per se. It's just it makes it unsure, uncertain whether you actually have, the, have what it takes to practice the teachings. So you have to be careful not to become complacent, because we have such easy access to the Dhamma these days, not just in this session or this sort of session, but we have videos on YouTube, we have teachings online, the whole of the Tipitaka is online in Pali, and then a lot of English translations online, and... We keep trying to make it easier and easier and easier. And that's important to understand because it's important to understand that making things easier doesn't help you. Making things easier in and of itself is not a good thing. A big part of the practice is being challenged taking yourself out of your comfort zone, facing the things you don't want to face, changing. If everything's very easy, we become complacent and we don't change. So we have to keep in mind that this isn't, you haven't done what needs to be done. If you come here and get all your answers, questions answered, there's much more that needs to be done. And practice will not be nearly as easy. I can't come to your house and practice for you. So take this as a a serious undertaking. And we're sitting here. Try and make it a productive session beyond just gaining information and answers. At the very least, have it be a catalyst for increased practice during your day, that taking away these questions, you'll do something with them. You'll undertake the very challenging and difficult task of cultivating understanding of reality and freeing yourself from suffering and the cause of suffering. Answering questions is very good. Asking questions is very good. But don't become complacent. Don't try and make everything easier and easier. Be clear that we've made things pretty easy, and it's it's very it's a big concern that we don't become complacent. We can practice right now being vigilant. Try and spend as much time uh, watching the sound of the voice as you spend trying to understand the words. Try and understand the reality of it. The arising and ceasing of the sound. The arising and ceasing about thoughts. The arising and ceasing about physical sensations, feelings. Try to understand all that as much, at least as much as you try to understand the words. So, with me today is Shraddha, and she will be asking the questions. I'm ready when you are, if we have any questions worth. The other thing is, questions should be worth answering, which means, maybe that's not a fair character characterization, they should be important questions. And by important, we mean important for your spiritual development. Mostly questions that have to do with meditation, but not all. The real criteria is, will will an answer to this question help this person? Is it important that they get an answer in 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 relation to important in relation to their spiritual development, Not important to their curiosity or satisfying their curiosity, or making them intelligent, making them more knowledgeable about Buddhism. That's not so important. Important is wisdom, understanding, clarity. Answers to questions should clarify things that are obstacles to the practice. The, the lack of clarity is an obstacle to the practice, an obstacle to spiritual development. The, this
1: first question, it's not about meditation, but i a few times I think in previous Q&A so. is the Buddhist view on whether or not I should turn myself in for crimes I've committed in the distant past, even though I feel like a totally different person now Thanks in advance
0: Well, I think that the answer is the same as last time. I don't think the clarification really changes much. The The answer is in relation to apologies and whether it's important to, to ameliorate someone's condition. Like if you not confessing is hurting someone. Like suppose you committed a crime and someone else went to jail for it. I think there's reason to believe that you should turn yourself in so the other person can be free from their, the suffering that you have inflicted on them or you have well it's not even so clear i don't know that i think it's not not as cut and dried as that either but that seems reasonable i think it'd be hard to argue against turning yourself in in that case but in the case where there's no one hurting from the fact that you haven't turned yourself in there's no See, Buddhism doesn't really subscribe to punishment. There's not really a sense that um, you need retribution and you need to be punished for your crimes. So if you're not the sort of person who would do those things again, well, that's the goal. That's you, You've accomplished what needs to be done. What's in the past is in the past don't go, don't bring up the past it's only if it if it's carrying into the present like there are effects in the present that need to be fixed then you have to do the right thing
1: I spend large portions of the day in reclining position, browsing the internet. I'm addicted. What are some things I can note about this experience that can help me break the pattern?
0: Well, thats uh, I don't know if you've read the booklet, but we were talking about this question and it's a bit of an exa- it's kind of an example of what i was talking about it's easy to become complacent and asking this question is a fairly complacent thing to do so you're talking about an activity that's largely related to laziness and complacency but then your question is also fairly complacent like rather than figure it out for yourself you're asking for someone to tell you what to do So I think part of what you need is, to some some. uh, What's the word? Whatever the opposite of complacency is. some conviction maybe, some almost ambition, not quite ambition, you need some get up and go, that will help you figure it out rather than try and get me or someone else to figure it out for you. Breaking the pattern will be about changing your your attitude. you got to figure out the reasons why you would want to not do what you do. You have to have some interest in bettering yourself.
1: Question about uh, your center. If someone is interested in the intensive meditation program you hold in Ontario, how would they get in contact? And I put the link to our course page here.
0: Yeah, that's not the contact page, but I assume they're all linked together.
1: On the courses page, you could then apply now and it takes. Oh, is
0: that? Yeah,
1: yeah for each of the courses, this uh, apply now that takes them to the form how did you build a foundation upon patience and awareness and lacking deeply in patience getting frustrated easily easy
0: well another important thing about changing your, your attitude your behavior is about Stop fo- fo- to stop focusing on trying to change. Change isn't a practice. Change is really what comes from understanding. To focus much more on understanding and and don't worry about the change. So if you're frustrated, your practice is going to be saying frustrated, frustrated. Don't try and build a foundation upon patience and awareness. Try and. Understand what's there now, and that will build patience and awareness by itself. See, if you're always focused on the goal and on change and so on, you'll always be frustrated when you don't change, when it's not working and doubting whether it's working and so on. It's very easy to get caught up in uncertainty.
1: What is a good greeting to start for the meditation? I know, I know we say sadhu afterwards, I'm learning.
0: We don't need a greeting. But if you mean to start the session when you come here or when you go to a teacher, you, the tradition we use is to say soti. At the beginning, soti means may you be well. It's a common greeting in in Buddhist countries. They like Sawadee in Thailand. It just means Soti, Swasti, or Swastay in Khmer, in Cambodian.
1: Is there a priority order to find a clear name for what you feel? For example, first to know if it belongs to body, emotions, mind, then if it is pleasant or not. Useful to study Jyta
0: I think you're greatly overcomplicating it. Um, It's much more what it appears to be to you, than, and and maybe a part of it is a, is a bit of a m- conflating of or over o- oversimplifying. On the other hand, because if you think something is pleasant or not pleasant, you, you have to understand that there's a distinction between liking something, and say feeling pleasure, and feeling a physical sensation and they can all come together very quickly but they are distinct so you should note experiences uh, and you should note how it appears to you so if an experience of something angers you you can note the anger or if you like something you can note liking but if there's just the experience and that's what's most clear and that's where the priority lies is what is most clear Whatever's clearest, you just note that, so if it's if the clearest is the feeling like when you watch the stomach rising, the clearest is the expansion in English we say rising in some languages they say expanding, but there's no need at all to consider you know how it's categorized, and'm not quite sure what you're asking exactly, but it seems like there's too much thinking going on there. But don't put so much thinking into it. Go and see what it is, what is the experience, and note that. The booklet is meant to help give you some ideas of how to note things.
1: Should we force ourselves to meditate every single day, just like we had to force ourselves to brush our teeth every day in order for it to become natural, so we don't even think about not doing it now?
0: Yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that you ever have to force yourself to meditate. See, the difference between brushing your teeth and meditating. Meditating is hard and complicated. In theory, it's very simple, but it's, there's a lot going on when you meditate. It's also for a lot longer time than brushing your teeth. So if you, try, if you spend too much energy on forcing yourself, you can develop right, quite an aversion to it that you wouldn't ever developed through brushing your teeth, I don't think. Not many people would anyway. Now, if you had to brush your teeth for, say, a half an hour, that <laughs> then yes, you might. But you know, for meditating, you have to be a lot more careful with that. If you, if you force too hard, it just makes it worse. So rather than forcing, you have to spend some time noting the disliking and the aversion. And you have to actively throughout your meditation, be careful that you don't develop resentment towards the meditation. You'll develop resentment based on wanting things and having to and forcing yourself to to not go after them you know, without noting, but instead just trying to repress the desire or ignore the desire, ignoring anger, ignoring any of the hindrances basically. To be careful not to ignore the hindrances, because they when they build up they'll create resentment towards the meditation
1: can you please advise me with this I work hard to keep the five precepts but in the summer months many flies get into my house and I resort to killing them
0: why would you kill them what a terrible thing to do I mean, for someone who's trying to keep the five precepts, why would you kill them? For ordinary people, they don't think twice, but for I, well ordinary, I don't know for, I mean but for people who not are not interested in keeping the five precepts, maybe, but once you're interested, just don't kill them. <laughs> There's lots of things you can do. That's terrible. Flies are probably your mother, father, sister, brother in a past life. Sorry, not to be, not to condemn you or anything. I don't mean, but you have to have have to put some perspective there. That's a that's a big one. Don't do that. There's lots of things you can do. We often, with these sorts of things, we feel we're hope, we're helpless. We have to do it, and it's ma- mainly based on our perceptions of how things should be things should be a certain way and and because they're not we have to change them often that's based on a cultural understanding of how things should be or based on a a conception of safety and health and those sorts of things they're all just perceptions and if See, if you stand from a base of what's important, the question is what's important. And the problem is that our, our priorities are skewed. Um, our priorities are not to keep the precepts. We have other priorities that supersede keeping the precepts, and that's the problem. Nothing should supersede keeping the precepts ever, even your own life, if you want to get right down to it. And if you start from that perspective, then you get creative pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, we we don't get creative because it's not important to us. It's, if you're if you're breaking the precepts, they're clearly not that important, and so your priorities are screw, skewed. Sorry, skewed. And if your priorities are skewed, yeah, you don't put up the effort to try and find creative ways to deal with the situation. Like, if you ever watch that movie, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched part of this movie called uh, Seven Years in Tibet. And this guy wants, the Dalai Lama wants this guy to build him a, a movie theater. So he gets, the, he gets the people, the Tibetan people, villagers and so on, to help him to, to dig, because 'cause going to build it on, partly underground. And they refuse to dig. They say, what about all the worms and, and the animals living in the earth? And he goes to the Dalai Lama, and and he's all frustrated. He said, "These people are crazy. Like, how can I build? They don't want to dig." And he says, "You'll figure it out." And he does. He figures out a way to, you know, they they dig a little bit and they carefully look and see if there are any animals. And if there are, they're very careful to transport them somewhere else. Those people were creative. I once, um, when I was tree planting, one year. Uh, after I'd practiced meditation, I thought tree planting would be a wholesome activity, a wholesome way of. It was before I was a monk, of course. It's not a very wholesome. It's not a very wholesome group. The whole atmosphere is not that wholesome. But I st- stayed to myself, and I had a tent. And one even one night, I got up to go to the, to use the, to to go to a tree to relieve myself, and when I got back, I realized I'd left the door of the tent open. It's tiring, very tiring work, and I must have been very tired, didn't think to close it. And I got back, there were like 50 mosquitoes in my tent. And I spent the next hour or so getting them out one by one with a little plastic container, catching them, putting them out, catching them, putting them out. I bet, there's a, I bet there's a way to catch flies, you know, clever way to trap them without killing them and then putting them outside, like something that they like uh, that, that attracts them. And then they get stuck in a jar or something. I bet you could build a fly trap. In fact, there are. I know there are. There are, because when Barack Obama killed a fly on, on camera, PETA, people for ethical treatment of animals sent him a, a humane fly trap apparently. I didn't see it, but I know there is such a thing. Good for them. You know, those people for all their apparent some people see they're a little bit crazy, but you know, they got something right there. Good for them.
1: And just to add to that I think one thing that I've noticed that works very well uh, is like a transparent plastic bag not the not the shopping bags that you get at grocery stores but like the ones where the top is just flat that seems to work very well for flies versus like a low cup that's it's very hard to catch them in a
0: Yeah, flies are hard to catch, huh? Why do you have to catch them? Why not just let them be? The real problem with flies is people and ants as well as people leave food out. We're not we're not clean, we're not clean, and it's our fault, really. Stop leaving food out. It's a big part of it, I think. Uh, Because if there's no food out then what do you have to worry about with flies?
1: Is it all right to do rising, falling, sitting, rising, falling, touching, etc.? I find that the space between falling and rising to not be big enough to do sitting, touching, rising, falling.
0: So it sounds like you might not be one of my students. Maybe you've done this with another teacher in this tradition, but we teach to be able to separate the four objects so first of all there are four different things rising is one thing, falling is one thing, sitting is one thing and touching is one thing, so they have no relationship with each other which means you don't have to fit one in between two others nothing has to fit in between anything else when you're focusing on one you just focus on that for as long as it takes once you're you're aware of that and note that, move on to the next one so there's no issue of trying to fit things in between things. Once you've said touching, then you go back to the stomach and see what it's doing. And whatever it's doing, you wait for the next rising. Different objects. no, don't need to fit anything in between anything else. So you should do it in the order it was taught.
1: Did this question, I didn't understand, but maybe would as I notice myself automatically setting intentions in my practice. Are there things before intentions down that dependent arising chain?
0: You have to be a little clearer. So you've 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 created stress for Shraddha. I'm not saying she's stressed, but it makes she has to think about it, and then I have to think about it. And see, this is—I'm not sure if, if you're—if you're a native English speaker, you have to—I have to say—be a little bit more diligent in in making a clear question. You have to treat these questions with respect, don't you? You're not just—you can't be lazy and just think, oh, "I'll ask whatever I want," and that comes out lazy, you see. Don't be lazy. Part of being taking this seriously is taking the question asking seriously. Prepare for it. You know, write it out don't send it yet, write it out mindfully once you've written it out, make sure grammar is good punctuation is good, spelling is good understand that you can understand it and that the person reading it can understand it that being said, you know, grammar is not everyone's forte and, and this actually I think it could make very good sense I'm just not 100% but down some down, we say in English, down that chain, right, I'm not sure about down that dependent arising chain the clearer the clearer way there's a clearer way to say that, but the idea is that intentions come before something right, so you're setting intentions in your practice, what is it that comes before intentions in the dependent origin origination chain? Again, you should, rather than saying dependent arising, well, maybe that's okay. It's fine. I think I understand what's being asked here. I'm not quite sure what it means to automatically setting intentions. Does that mean you notice the intention before you do something? Because that happens. But setting intentions could be, I intend to practice an hour of meditation. Something like that. You set an intention, I guess. Which is more like a determination, but in dependent origination, there would be the intention to do something, and then there would be the doing of it. So it's not really—that's not really. Independent origination, that's just a part of the the experience of how. Uh, vinyana, pachaya, nama, rupa. Sort of. I mean, it's really how nama, rupa, pachaya, vinyana, vinyana. P- it's how the the experience works. Intentions lead to actions, actions lead to reactions and more intentions, and so on. It's a cycle. I don't know that this question's that important. You don't have to wonder is there something else if if you notice something you should note that you shouldn't wonder if there's something else you should be noting it sounds fairly philosophical or, or theoretical you don't have to note things you don't notice
1: How to stop chatter in the mind, thinking of unnecessary things that happened in the past and imagining the future. How to stay focused and give the best to the present moment.
0: I'd recommend reading our booklet. I think I can confidently answer this with that by saying, read the booklet. It should give you some idea but to be clear we are not trying to stop the chatter of the mind we are not trying to stop anything we are trying to understand we are not trying to stay focused we are trying to understand even when we are not focused I suppose you could say we are trying to give the best to the present moment but those things are incompatible trying to stay focused trying to stop chatter is incompatible with giving the best, best to the present moment giving the best to the present moment is to not try to change anything but to try to understand what's present And that's it. Anything else is just desire or aversion. It's going to cause you stress and suffering if you follow it. It gets in the way of understanding, in fact.
1: Or should one take a step back and examine their practice in order to adjust it accordingly and stay on the right path? Are there any specific steps I can take?
0: Well, you could read things like the booklet or anything maybe a little, well anything by like Mahasi Sayadaw, that sort of thing. And then you can, refl- you can go back to those teachings and compare them with your practice. It's not something I recommend spending too much time on. But uh, you also could meet with a teacher and uh, tell them about your practice and they can ask you questions and they can point things out to you. But that's where study is useful, because it helps you know what your practice should be. And you compare that to how your practice is, and you can see what you're lacking.
1: I feel like I betrayed someone's trust, which brings me suffering. How should I approach that when meditating?
0: So I feel like I betrayed so be a little clearer there's a feeling and you don't you can't feel like you betrayed someone's trust. you have a feeling you think first you think that you betrayed someone's trust and that makes you feel a certain way and... Perhaps that feeling is the suffering, or perhaps that feeling leads to suffering. Either way, you should note the feeling, you should note the suffering. But you should note it as it is. What is the feeling? Is it pain? Is it sadness? Is it anger, self-hatred, that sort of thing? Disliking, usually. It's all about disliking in the end. Just note disliking, disliking. But there's, there's other flavors you can say. Angry, frustrated, sad, that sort of thing. We have to be careful when we we use ordinary ways of speaking because, it, as in this case, it often covers over what's actually happening. It's hard to see from that statement what you're actually feeling. If you spend a little more time on it, observing it, you'll see that you'll see more clearly. You have to discard the statement that you feel like you betrayed someone's trust, and and look and see what's happening. There'll be thoughts about, there'll be memories, there'll be thoughts what's actually happening, it's often not how we would normally describe it in conventional speech that's why the things like the Satipatthana Sutta are so useful because they help point out what's real, what's underlying all of that
1: question i didn't understand but i work as a computer programmer so i tend to reason as such i wonder which word list can be sufficiently complete for most of the practice and then use wondering or noticing by default
0: so i don't again i i kind of think that asking for a word list is a bit lazy like why are you asking for that because you can't dynamically figure out what the experience is perhaps and that's up to you, that's a part of the practice See, a part of saying the word is being able to understand what you're experiencing to get it, to get what's happening, to to know what's happening if you can't do that you can't find a word you won't be able to name it so a, a part of the skill is becoming more in touch with your experience getting closer to it, so close that you know what's happening And that's a You have to do the work. So giving you a list is just cheating. I mean, it's not going to really help you in the end. You'll just end up using words just because they were given to you. The words should come from the experience. Now you have to be clear what sorts of words you can use. Like you couldn't say cat, cat. If you hear a cat, you should say hearing. And if you you have to, that's an important distinction you have to understand, but it doesn't mean that all the words should be given to you means you have to understand the sorts of words the sorts of things that are real and find names for those things cat isn't real, but sound hearing is real real in the sense of it's actually experienced you don't ever experience a cat you experience the sound of the cat meowing the hearing
1: the act of noting itself be an object of noting?
0: No, this is, I think, not a question that the person needs an answer to.
1: There are a few other questions. I'm not sure if they're not so meditation-related. Celibacy has brought me a deep peace. Is romance inherently a distraction of desire?
0: I'm not sure why this person is asking this. Like your celibacy has brought you deep peace. Why are you are you worried about? Do you want to be romantic? Are you thinking something's wrong? Like sounds like you're doing okay. Why, why, why? I don't know.
1: meditating in the forest or outside more beneficial or are they independent of each other
0: it can be beneficial yeah in a practical sense because of how our body our how we how we work as beings probably we're much more accustomed to nature than we are our ordinary habitat because of how many lifetimes we've spent in in nature, in more natural circumstances. But, you know, our, our, our ordinary human habitat is more familiar because it's more recent. And in this life, it's more in tune with how we've developed, our brains have developed and so on. So it's not such a big deal. But the other thing about nature is that there's a lot less going on. There are big problems of, of meditating outside as well. There's insects, mosquitoes, flies. I think they're pretty independent. I wouldn't put too much weight on meditating in the forest or outside. Another thing about the forest is it doesn't have all the distractions of you know our phone our internet, our family. so it's not so much the the Buddha was much more about solitude than about this place or that place. Find a place where you can be secluded from all those distractions.
1: There is a bunch of questions that are more personal. Maybe it helps the people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then okay, let me ask this one first. A few months ago, a person who I thought I would marry ended the relationship. I observe, go back to the breath and let them be, but it doesn't seem to go anywhere. How can I end this suffering?
0: I'm not sure that you're practicing according to our technique, especially because you say go back to the breath, because you say observe. That's not really how we, how we uh, characterize, how we characterize our practice. So I'd recommend, if you're interested in what I have to say, that you read our booklet and consider trying our practice. If you are doing the way we practice, then okay. Uh, Then statements like, how can I end this suffering, is is misguided. Because we're not about ending suffering. Not directly. We're about understanding suffering. The Buddha said, you should understand suffering fully. That's the path. The result is of course the end of suffering But the end of suffering comes from understanding And if your focus is ending suffering You're probably misguided You're probably averse And following the aversion And and encouraging it And craving for release And that sort of thing And those are all just a cause of greater stress You have to be comfortable with the suffering Or familiar with it anyway You have to be able to see it clearly and and overcome the power it has over you. Not get rid of the suffering, but get rid of the power it has. Because once you understand it, it has no power over you.
1: I'm imagining, I note imagining and understand that then realize that I imagine scenarios I want so I note wanting how long do I note wanting?
0: until it goes away if after a long time it doesn't go away you can ignore it but you should probably note it for some time try until it goes away
1: Are there things taught in the at-home course that are different than what is taught in the booklet? Thank you.
0: Yes. I mean, the basic principles are the same, but besides that, yes.
1: Manate, there was a question i didn't ask earlier but they put another note so uh, which do you think is more skillful to practice in meditation right concentration the hard visuddhimagga type jhanas or the lighter aware sutta based jhanas then i didn't ask the question so they sent another note saying sorry if it was a bad question but this jhana debate causes a lot of stress I was just wondering what your opinion would be on which type to practice.
0: My opinion is that you're right. The jhana debate does cause a lot of stress and that's why I don't answer such questions. I'd recommend you try and note the stress and change your attitude towards it. Towards the debate, I mean. Instead of trying to fix it or figure it out or get an answer, just let it go. It just causes stress. Probably let go of some of the views you have surrounding the Visuddhimagga and suttas and so on. Try and be open-minded and thoughtful rather than skeptical and critical and so on. A strange one, that one, that debate. Everybody's got an opinion, and they're all different. And a lot of people are very feel very strongly that everybody else is wrong. <laughs> very strongly. Oh, some of the things. Even monks, you hear them acting very unmonkly about it. I suppose I'm probably guilty of that in the past as well. But there was a long debate about it, and it's written, it's a very good, there's a very good book, good, I mean, I think it's good, I bet a lot of people wouldn't think it's very good, but a good book written, a debate between two monks, and one of the monks was just very, apparently very, very, Crude and, and unpleasant and mean. And they didn't include that part in the book because it was too mean. But yeah, people get very opinionated about things.
1: And stop overeating no matter what I do. I guess the question is, any advice?
0: Well, they should ask a question again. Don't be lazy. You want to, you want to progress in Buddhism. Don't be so lazy. And don't, and and it may not be laziness. It may be a shyness, a sort of uh, aversion towards bothering the teacher. I don't want to ask a question. I'm just going to put it out there. Be more confident. If you have a question, ask it. And don't be afraid of us. Don't be afraid of anyone. Maybe I, maybe you'll ask a question and I'll just criticize it and I'll say, what a dumb... I'll say bad things about it. Don't be afraid of that, because I can't hurt you. Being afraid is a real, real problem. Being afraid, you know, being afraid of doing the wrong thing. You don't realize it, but being afraid of doing the wrong thing is a big reason why you end up doing the wrong thing. It's a very, very, very difficult thing to see. I mean, it's very... Very common problem. We're afraid of doing the wrong thing, and it causes us to do the wrong thing. Cause fear is not good. Can't stop overeating. Well, eating is one thing. Overeating is a is a judgment. You see, when you call it overeating, that's part of the problem, because that's going to create aversion, guilt, and so on. That makes it more perverse. Eating is just eating. So try and do it mindfully and stop judging how much you eat. That's not the way forward. The way forward is to be more mindful when you eat. It's very hard to overeat when you're mindful because it's such an unpleasant thing. So learn to be mindful and stop judging.
1: an effect of meditation I feel not doing much as before as if becoming lazy like after a meditation se- session I just sit doing much seems stressful would it improve over time?
0: Too lazy to even add a question mark I'm, I'm just being I'm being a little bit joking but the is. Put something into this. If you can ask a question, you need a question mark. I know grammar is not, they don't teach grammar anymore. but So it's not a big deal that we get some, have some grammar issues. But I think everyone knows what a question mark is. This is a long sentence. What did improve over time? And I guess that's a problem with these sorts of questions as well, is they're a little bit—they're not quite asking a useful thing. Like, what would the what could the answer possibly be? Reassuring you that everything is going to get better. Try and find a clearer question. I think, like, what what are you? What, what's the real problem, and why can't you solve it? What, what's getting in the way of of Working of approaching it properly. I'd recommend if you haven't read uh, the booklet, then go ahead. If you're practicing according to the booklet, then you have to be be careful that you're not missing something. Like if you feel stressful, doing much seems stressful. You don't feel stressful, but you you have an aversion to doing things. Right, I think I get a clear sense of what this is. So the meditation is making you less inclined to do things because you see that doing things. I mean, this is not a bad. This is a, not a bad observation. It's actually, I think, a good one. Because as a result of meditating, you realize that a lot of your ambitions and inclinations were pointless, fruitless, and just conducive of greater stress. And so, yeah, you're less inclined to do things. So asking whether this will improve over time is kind of a value judgment. You're saying it would be better if I were more inclined to do those things that are just cause of stress. So it may not change over time. It's not the thing that's just going to naturally get better be- or naturally change because you practice. And so so one important thing that meditators have to keep in mind is that meditation won't allow you to function better in society. And there are two different things, and, and, and practically speaking, two, two important things. There are two distinct and, and important aspects of the life of a meditator. One is the actual meditation itself, and the other is being able to function in society, whatever society that might be. And and that usually involves livelihood. So they're going to influence each other, of course. If you get too involved in society in the wrong ways, it will affect your meditation. If you get all caught up in meditation, of course it's going to change the way you live in the world. But finding a... Uh, f- uh, living your life is not something that's going to... become clear through meditation it's the kind of thing that you do have to put some thought into especially if you're not living as a monk and you don't have this dictated li- livelihood and, and path and, and way of life it's just going to be dictated to you by the rules and by your teachers and that sort of thing So if you're living in the world don't expect the meditation to teach you or give you the answer on what job you should take. It'll it'll prevent you from or help to prevent you from picking wrong livelihood or getting too caught up in the world. But you you can't expect the meditation to to make you want to, you know, oh yeah, this meditation really helped me realize that I have to go out and work. Yeah. So you do have to go out and work, even though you know from a meditation perspective that's just gonna make it harder to meditate. It's still important to work, and that answer doesn't come from meditation. It well, it comes from reflection, from, from thinking about it and realizing, oh yeah, I need to live, otherwise I won't be able to meditate. So I have to do this thing that's going to get in the way of my meditation. Because otherwise I couldn't meditate, I'd die, you see.
1: Sometimes when I do sitting or walking meditation, I don't notice thoughts or notice them when they're already over. What should I do?
0: So if you notice them when they're over, you can note them right after you've known, right after they've gone. Once you notice they're gone, just say to yourself thinking because you're always going to be noting after things anyway. Noting can't happen during because during you're, you're busy experiencing noting is just to remind yourself it is what it is to prevent you or to change from extrapolating on it or judging it, making more of it than it is. If you notice that you've been thinking a lot and you missed a lot of thoughts, you should say something like distracted, distracted, just noting the distracted state for what it is.
1: notings like
0: driving too conceptual? No, not necessarily. It's not bad. It's a little bit too conceptual. right? I mean, it's just too general. Because driving involves lots of things. Yeah, maybe it is a bad one. I would say things like turning when you turn the wheel, pressing when you press the gas or the brakes. You have to be careful when you're driving because it's easy to get strong concentration and start to fall asleep. You can nod off, because nodding off is a thing. It's not... Not every time, but sometimes, you might find that meditation's not a good idea when you're driving, just because the state of meditation isn't at all concerned with what's going on around you. And you won't be vigilant enough in terms of you know, staying awake. I've had, that happened to me when I was driving. I found myself about to nod off, and I had to think quickly, what am I going to do? You know, I can't be mindful during this, it's not going to work. And so I started chanting. Chanting works really well. It's why people sing when they're driving to keep themselves awake. If you learn to chant and you do chanting while you're driving, really good way of staying awake. The Buddha even recommended it for when you're falling asleep in meditation. Do some chanting. I mean, it would be reciting the teachings. It wouldn't have been chanting mantras or something. But recite the teachings. Good reason for all of us to learn the teachings, right? It's not the... Best reason, but now you see, you're expected to learn. If you many of us haven't memorized any teachings, and so you can see that you're missing something that should, that is expected. You're expected to have that. You're expected to have memorized teachings, because if you weren't expected, then you wouldn't be expected to use that as a tool for staying awake.
1: Can we practice your form of noting meditation in conjunction with other forms of meditation taught by the Buddha, such as the cemetery or body awareness meditation?
0: So there are two reasons or ways of practicing meditation. Two reasons for practicing. You now, two two um, types of approach. You know, types of two types of meditation practice. One is. Meditation practice for an end goal, let's say That you take to the end goal And that that's generally referred to as your main meditation practice Because if it wasn't your main meditation practice It wouldn't lead to that goal And the other type of practice is one that you do generally To keep you from sliding into certain extremes So it doesn't actually have a goal in itself And it's generally not Taken up as a main practice, but you could say it's a sort of a secondary or auxiliary practice. The Buddha called them protective meditations. I think it was him that said they're protective meditations. They're called protective meditations, meaning they protect you. You're doing some other main practice, but these meditations protect you. And that's how you should look at this. Yes, you do noting as as for the goal of of cultivating insight or no seen clearly. But at the same time, not at the same time, but in the same period, you can spend some time on things like cemetery or body awareness because you may have, because you have specific problems, like lust in that case. Or you would practice metta, not because you want to take metta to its goal of the jhanas but because metta prevents you from getting very angry and hating people and so on, which would be a hindrance to your main meditation.
1: Vante, there are two other questions that are not about meditation, but it's like people's personal...
0: Are they important? Question. The person? Do you think the person needs an answer to help them in their spiritual life? If they are, we'll take them, but we're after four o'clock, so if not, we're not going to take them.
1: Not sure.
0: All right, go ahead.
1: One is about eating meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I should give up eating meat. Each time I try, my performance at my physically demanding job suffers along with my income and the quality of life of my dependents. How can I best handle this?
0: Yeah, I don't have an answer for that because we don't believe you should give up eating meat. That's not one of our teachings.
1: The one.
0: I mean, I guess that's an answer. We don't teach that.
1: How can I how can I overcome the disappointment of my ex-girlfriend who cheated on me. I truly loved her and felt we had true love. I just turned 31 months ago and feel hopeless of making my own family.
0: Recommend reading the booklet. And I recommend you rethink your priorities and what you hold important because just because we don't hold those things as important in Buddhism. So you have to understand that I'm never going to Someone in this tradition is never going to be able to help you make your own family. That's not what we're about. But the overcoming the dis- disappointment, absolutely. That's very much what we're about. Try and, and the way to do it, you should read the booklet because it sort of outlines this, but it's to, again, stop trying to overcome it and try to understand it understand the disappointment, to see it clearly based on, or by using the practice of mindfulness, to see it clearly concepts like true love it's funny because we wouldn't really differentiate between fake love and true love look and see what are the emotions and those emotions are real true love is a concept that no, there's no such thing as true love. It's probably cliché to say that. It sounds like I'm some bitter person who's had my heart broken. I did. I've had my heart broken when I was younger. Again, your heart broken, that's just a concept. It's actually not what's really happening. There's no such thing as true love, not the way we understand it conceptually. Love is is an emotion. I mean, it's it's a discre- it's a name for many different emotions. It's a name for groups of emotions patterns of emotion but the reality is those emotions those states of mind those are real and they come and they go feeling hopeless feeling disappointed wanting to make a family all of those those wanting and feelings those are real try and understand try and see them clearly so you you understand them the understanding the truth will set you free
1: There was a comment. I'm just going to put it here because someone was asking about the what to do with flies earlier, someone said there's a mm. bug vacuum. Oh,
0: well, that's a good idea. A vacuum that would be so great. So, what a put- good idea! You see, here's someone. No, no, sorry. I don't mean to. Pick. I don't want to pick on that person because they must not feel so good about what they're doing anyway. But this, this, this is. This is noble, no. Someone who, you know, This is what you have to. We have to emulate. We have to think of this. What can I do you know, to actually take the initiative? Initiative. That's the word I was looking for earlier. You need initiative. Initiative to find creative solutions. So I don't want the person who who posted that question to feel bad or guilty or like we're picking on them or anything judging them or anything. Nothing like that. There's no judgment. I used to kill, I've hunted, did a lot of terrible things. Used to when we were oh, I don't want to talk about it. You know, kids things that kids do. It's just with no conception of we didn't even know. We didn't we never thought that these things had feelings. It never even occurred to us to be concerned for their welfare. How terrible, huh? I was reading an article recently about fish, because fish are interesting. Interesting to me because my mother fishes and I wish she wouldn't. Um, fish, this is a totally tangential, but just to give you some idea, some perspective to help us un- more empathize with these things because we don't empathize with them enough. Fish can pass, the, some fish at least, can pass the mirror test. Some of you probably know what the mirror test is, but I didn't really know clearly until I read this article what the mirror test was they 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 they, you know, they studied in different steps, but the final step and the most interesting one was that they'd put a dot of color on the fish they anesthetize it first, and it's when it's knocked out, they put a dot of dye on somewhere on the fish somewhere that it wouldn't be able to see without the mirror. And when the fish looks in the mirror, and this is after it's gotten used to the mirror and understood what the mirror was and really seems to understand that the mirror is just a reflection of themselves, which is hard, which is not immediately intuitive. Some animals aren't very capable of doing this. But when it saw the dye, what did it do? It tried to rub it off. It it rubbed its body against things trying to get the die off, even though it couldn't see it. It knew that that was a reflection of itself. You know, scientists think that's important, and I think there's something to it. It's, just, I mean, it's not actually that important. What's more important is whether they suffer, not whether they're intelligent enough. But it does point out how sentient these things are, and for anyone who thinks they're they're just robots or automatons, it's very, very wrong. There's no reason to think that any of these things are different from us, categorically. And yet we put sharp hooks in their mouths, you know. Fishing is one of the worst. Even if you don't kill them, catch and release, just the horror. Could you imagine swimming and suddenly there was a hook in your mouth and you were struggling but you were pulled up to this mon- these monsters And then when you're released, you've got this this gash in your cheek and the other fish smell it and they start eating, biting you apparently. Fish who are hooked often don't survive. I'm told. I was told. Anyway, that's all for today. Thank you. I apologize for any any, uh, impropriety on my part. Sometimes I feel a little too critical. But I'm not trying to be critical I want to be honest, you know We're not trying to sugarcoat, that's the whole point So it's not about judgment or about derision Or about, uh, you know, condescension or anything I've been there I mean, I, I, all these questions are all familiar questions So just trying to be honest and helpful And so I hope this has been honest and or I hope this has been helpful Certainly hope it's been honest uh, but helpful is most important. Useful, and I thank you all. I appreciate your good intentions, and any scolding that I do do is is meant well. And I thank you all for taking it as such. It seems like the grammar may have improved a little bit as we went. But uh, I mean, I'm not, it's not about the grammar. It's about whether the, whether you're actually. Whether how how much uh, v- mindfulness you have, and not being lazy, because it's not a it's not an affront to us. It's not because it's an affront to us or anything that you're insulting us by not using proper grammar. It's just a sign that you're not taking it seriously, and that's bad for you. That's 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 an oversight that can really get in the way of your practice. And that's what I meant is. In all things, be careful. It's a very important part of Buddhism. So. In all things, be careful. Like Lao Tzu said, I always think of Lao Tzu, even though it's not Buddhism. But he said, like, he described the master. The ma- master. He said, the master is like a person walking over thin ice. How careful are you when you walk over thin ice? said, so the master is like that. Always cautious. And he certainly didn't mean they're afraid or they're worried all the time. They're paranoid all the time. But they're careful. Not like people who are reckless. Incautious. Or lazy. Alert. Constantly alert and vigilant. All right. Have a good day everyone. Thank you all. Sadhu.